This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning, this is Frida Liu, and of course, we, who have we got with us today? Now, do you find yourself struggling to find the right word in a conversation or experience a concept that dances to the tip of your tongue but remains out of reach? Someone who often tops the list of those we like to forget is Matt Armitage. How can we ever forget you? But <laughs> what's with the memory moments, Matt? Hey, Frida. Um, I don't know about memory moments, but I think this is definitely one of those massive irony moments. I knew what topic I wanted to cover today, mm. but I couldn't remember what it was. It had completely disappeared from my mind, even though I spoke about it briefly on uh, a bit of culture last week. I could remember vividly what the other guys spoke about. Um, I can remember the Zoom session with uh, Cam and couples Ideal Rusli. Um, I mean, it's worth listening to that show just to hear Cam rant about drum machines three decades after they became normal um, and for for Idol's riff on Malaysian cinema. But I had no recollection of the thing that I'd been talking about. So in the end, I had to go back to WhatsApp. I had to look up my conversation with Cam to try and remember what it was. And it turned out to be digital amnesia. (laughs) So yeah, exactly. So I used a digital device to remind me to do a show about digital devices destroying our ability to remember. Mm. Even worse, on Mm. a bit of culture, I was kind of arguing that the idea of digital amnesia is blown out of proportion. The, The irony. I think you might have forgotten explaining what digital amnesia is to the rest of us. Okay, so from now on, I'm not going to admit to forgetting anything. Uh, I'm going to maintain that everything is deliberate. It's all just performance art. Uh, Even if I've forgotten my wallet and I only realise when it's time to pay, it's just theatre, darlings. Um, And you are all the audience in the experiment that is my life. Um, Actually, that sounds a bit more like dementia (laughs) than amnesia, but, you know, um, I genuinely, I had to message Frida the day before we recorded this to ask her to remind me what time we were recording the episode about digital amnesia. Um, It's like I've got a lemon for a brain. Um, Digital amnesia is this idea that our reliance on digital devices, which I've just demonstrated, um, especially our phones, is physically damaging our memories. Now, there are a few components. Um, One is uh, the distraction argument, and that holds that while we're using digital devices, that we're distracted. We're not aware of what's going on around us. Therefore, it's the use of the device that's the memory that the brain writes, not the lady who's cartwheeling in a ring of fire that's going on somewhere beyond your distracted brain. Uh, Then there's the neuroscientific approach that argues that we're actually altering the structure Mm. of our, our brain with the devices, and we're rewiring it in a sense and changing how we store and recall information, and possibly even physically reducing our capacity to store and recall that information. Okay, how different is this from this concept of living through a lens? I mean, there's definitely overlap with that. So studies have shown that when we record an event in our lives with a photo or video, we often don't remember it in the same way because our memory isn't of experiencing that event. Our memory is actually of recording 
the experience of the event. Now, it might not sound like much of a distinction, um, and hopefully it'll get clearer as we progress, but it is actually fundamental. Your memory becomes that shareable public moment rather than the experience itself. Uh, you know, I'm not talking about posing everyone for a photo after dinner. I'm talking more about that moment when, you know, your child wins or loses at sports day. Your attention might be on the action, but it's the action that you're seeing through that intermediary, which is the screen of your device. So your experience is the narrow one that the lens captures rather than the broader one that your your eye captures. Right. This sounds a little generational. The old man telling the kids, you know, to put their phones away and go outside and play in the mud because it never did you any harm. I mean, it's funny you mentioned that. I mean, my mum reminded me of a, a trip to a beach when I was a small kid. Uh, and I was apparently playing around this large pipe that snaked its way out to sea. And then the next day I was violently ill uh, because it turns out it was a pipe that was disgorging untreated sewage waste into the sea. <laughs> Who knew? Um, I've got at least two head injuries. I've got countless other scars and incidents that certainly represent a hangover of harm, if nothing else. But then, you know, the harm hasn't done me any harm. Um, but I'm not being all Gen X about it. This technology is all still really new. Um, you know, in the scheme of human development, even photos and electricity are really new. You know, a couple of hundred years is barely a pyramid in the history of our species. And I'm as guilty as anyone else. We all have that urge to capture moments. I was going to say, this is uh, weird, but people who know me probably won't find it weird. I don't really take many pictures of people. It doesn't occur to me to document meetups with friends and family in that way, but I'll happily spend a half hour taking shots of an interesting building. You know, although your obsessions are fascinating, let's work through some of the different scenarios. Let's start with a distraction example. Okay, I'll give you some um, reference points. So I sourced some of the information from this show uh, from an article called Is Your Smartphone Ruining Your Memory by Rebecca Seal. You can read that on the Guardian website. Um, and just to reiterate again, we often use the term smartphones as a shorthand for all of our digital devices. Mm. And increasingly with those devices, we can switch seamlessly from one to another. Uh, a lot of the ecosystems now let you move from a phone to a tablet to a laptop, even to your smart TV or a voice controlled device without pause. And that's really great from some points of view. You know, you can go into a meeting armed with just your phone and you have all of the information that you would have on your laptop. Now, I know that most of us don't use it for that purpose. We use it so that we can carry on watching that TV show or YouTube clip as we wander into the bathroom. But as I said, when we talked about uh, 0 0.5 selfies a week or two ago, people lead messy lives. We don't lead these curated Instagram filtered lives. So that same sense of continuity moving from one device increases the distraction they create? Well, absolutely. You know, we all like to think that we can multitask flawlessly, but we can't. You know, when we talk about multitasking, what we really mean is halting one project while we move on to another. It's more about being able to switch our focus rather than split our focus. Mm. Uh, for example, I can listen to music while I research and prepare these shows, but I can't listen to talk radio. Sorry, BFM. Um, and I can't listen to podcasts either because the words 
take my attention. I'm drawn to the people speaking. Now, when I've done kind of more manual jobs in the past or when I'm doing something like, you know, cleaning the house, for example, I'll listen to podcasts or audiobooks because right. the different types of tasks are using different bits of my brain. So they require different levels of concentration. Uh, and also because I'm pretty lousy at cleaning. Um, but you know, back to the multitasking, we don't, or at least we don't in the way we think we do, we don't multitask. Our focus is always on one thing. We may have a peripheral awareness of external events, but our focus is usually drilled on that thing in front of us. Right. This is so interesting because I find that I can drive with music, but I can't do work with music with words in it. Yeah, no, a lot of people are like that, but I've I've never been someone who listens to the lyrics. I treat the lyrics like another instrument, so it's right. just a kind of wash. Okay. But yeah, I because I, totally I sing get along and I can't focus on what I'm doing. No, so now, exactly because yeah, it draws your attention. So if you're concentrating on the phone screen, then you're missing the cartwheeling firewoman. Absolutely. You know, how many times have you looked down at your phone to read a message while you're watching TV, and then you've had to rewind what you're watching? Um, uh. It's doubly annoying in a family uh, setting where everyone has phones because it means that every movie takes five hours to get through because you're constantly pausing. Frida's laughing because obviously that's happened to her um, because, you know, you're constantly pausing or winding back for one person or another. And I think that may be one reason that people are less interested in watching things at movie theaters mm. now because it actually demands your attention. Our devices make it much easier to fragment that attention and to consume things in chunks. Now, that's not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing, or it could be both. Mm. That's simply what they are. It's what they do. But memories are something that we experience and are then written down into our minds. Uh, the Guardian article quotes science writer Catherine Price, who makes the point that if you're paying attention to your phone, then you aren't paying attention to anything else. And furthermore, she, she points out something that it seems quite obvious, but it's actually deeply profound. If we're not paying attention to something, then there is no memory to recall because there's no experience of that event, or at best, you have a peripheral memory. Okay, because real life isn't like a seamlessly transitioning digital device? Well, correct. You know, there's no skip back 10 seconds function so that you can repeat it, unless it's that Adam Sandler <laughs> movie, Click. Um, although I, I think that was more about fast forwarding to the interesting bits, but that that's sort of what our life has become in some instances for me as well. The device is our fast forward switch to take us through the things we think are the boring bits of our life. And then we look up too late and it's kind of gone. I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't have thought I was going to get any profundity out of an Adam Sandler movie, but, you know, the, it's, it's a Wednesday morning, so who knows. Um, the, the Guardian piece quotes uh, neuroscientist Wendy Suzuki, who makes the further point that it's our memories that shape and define our lives. It's why dementia sufferers become so adrift, because they get lost mm. in those moments. They get lost in those memories. And their ability to shape new moments is impaired. Uh, we'll 
talk a, a bit more after the break about one of the areas that Catherine Price is currently looking into, which is whether this continual partial attention affects our ability to form long-term memories. But I'll leave you with a quick example. This is a, a study from Cambridge University in 2010, in which three groups of people were given a reading task. Uh, one group were made to use instant messaging before the task. One group were made to use instant messaging during the task. And the third group used uh didn't use instant messaging either before or during they were then set a comprehension exercise after the experiment to gauge how well they recalled and understood what they had just read and the group that used instant messaging during the task found it a lot harder to recall or show any understanding of what they'd read Right, and no surprises there. Well, don't touch those fast forward or rewind buttons. Uh, Matt Amatish will be Matt explaining a little bit more after this. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. Business filled minds, BFM 89.9. This is Frida Liu. I'm here with Matt Armitage. And in case you've forgotten what we're talking about today, is digital amnesia. The idea that our smart devices are changing not just what we remember, but how we remember it. We talked about distractions and partial attention before the break. And what about uh, the effect that these devices are having on our brains? Well, you know, people talk about things like muscle memory, which isn't actually a thing because mm. muscles don't have a memory. What we think of as muscle memory is essentially the brain subconsciously recalling and retrieving these relatively low load tasks. Uh, we can think of them like the background processes on a computer that that mysterious system agent takes care of. But there's a lot of truth in that adage the more we use our brains, the more we exercise them, the healthier they are. Um, we're making it work. It doesn't matter whether we're doing exercise, whether we're playing sport, doing Wordle, learning a language or playing an instrument. All of those things are good for our brains. Uh, some of them are, are good for us in other ways too. But, you know, you can think of them as that term, brain food. Uh, Oliver Hart, a professor at McGill University in Montreal, who specializes in the neurobiology of memory, believes that the more we use our devices, the greater the physical need to use them increases because they become that replacement for memories. He believes that we stop routinely using our brains for uh, simple memory tasks like, you know, remembering a recipe. Um, and once we do that, it then becomes harder to use them for any other memory tasks. Right. You know, like we've forgotten phone numbers, right? Yeah, I know. I mean, a lot of people don't even know their own phone number. <laughs> Okay. And, okay. and does that pose a health risk? Well, I mean, knowing your, your phone number, it could potentially uh, pose a health risk in an emergency. But no, I mean, it's, it's an area that Oliver Hart is researching at the moment. He hypothesizes that shifting these mental tasks to a third party, uh, in this instance, it's your phone, could lead to a reduction in the amount of uh, 
gray matter in the hippocampus over a prolonged period. Now, reductions of gray matter in that area have been linked to all manner of conditions from uh, depression to forms of dementia, which, you know, would be another irony. The tools we relied on during the pandemic to stave off depression could simply be shifting it further down the line. Uh, it's an extension of that area we mentioned in relation to Catherine Price before the break. And she's also exploring the idea that electronic devices are making us less insightful, which is something that I find particularly interesting because it's something that I hadn't looked at in that way. In the sense of where our insights come from? Well, yeah, you know, one of the reasons that I like doing these shows is because I get to pull a lot of disparate threads together. So, mm. you know, I'm trying to look for connections that at least appear to be insightful. Um, I, I think I'm gifted in being a person who knows a little bit about a, a lot of things and nothing about anything in any great depth, um, other than being fluent in Jafasi, which is the language <laughs> that my cat King Jafar speaks, um, which is mainly made up of food and anger-related terms. Um, but Miss Price makes the point that in order to create insights, the brain needs a lot of raw material. Again, it's obvious when you think about it, you can't pull threads together if there aren't any threads. Mm. Uh, you know, imagine if Archimedes had been looking at fail videos on YouTube as he stepped into that bath. He wouldn't have noticed the displacement of the water and he wouldn't have had his eureka moment and we wouldn't have any eureka moments. Ah. Okay, is there any evidence that any of this is happening or is it all theoretical at this point? Well, a lot of it's theoretical, largely because the devices are so new. So for anyone born before the year 2000, then that's a largely arbitrary date, by the way. Um, our brains from that pre-2000 era were partly shaped in a pre-digital era, and our adoption has been staggered. So widespread smartphone, uh, smartphone use is really only a decade old at most. So it could be another 20 to 30 years before we see whether it's going to result in you know, widespread changes to the brain, brain diseases, that kind of thing. We'll However, do the show in 20 years' time. We'll I'll do the show. Here. Yeah, I'll still be standing here. And doing um, the widespread study. Yeah. Um, but neuroscientists have noted uh, developmental changes in the brains of that first generation of uh, digital natives that is now reaching adulthood. Uh, a large-scale U.S. study, the Adolescent Brain Cognitive Development Study, the ABC. D study is tracking more than 10,000 kids from childhood to adulthood, and they found a correlation between technology use and uh, this thing called cortical thinning. So the cerebral cortex, that part of our brain, is responsible for some fairly important stuff, including memory, processing thought, attention, perception. Um, and I don't know how accurate uh, this analogy is, but I picture it like the threads coming loose. Um, although you might want to think of it as jelly that's being eaten from the inside out. Uh, if there are any neuroscientists listening, please feel free to tweet uh, at my amateur analogies. But um, wobbly jelly aside, cortical thinning is actually a normal part of aging. It's something that usually starts in middle age. So it's something that uh, Frida and I are at 
no way uh, any risk of yet. But the ABCD study found that this cortical thinning process had begun in kids who used more technology. Now, we know the role cortical thinning plays in things like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's disease, depression, you know, et cetera, et cetera, in older people. But we don't know what, if any, risk they pose to younger people. Mm, thinking of my son right now. We know with anything like this, you have to wonder, is distraction built into the model of digital devices? Well, you know, it's a really hard question to answer, especially in kind of an engineering sense and not just in the sense of not wanting to be sued by a big tech company. You know, there, there are lots of contradictions in this space. Um, for example, my iPhone gives me a weekly report on my screen time. Now, ostensibly, this is to inform me and allow me to make decisions to mm. reduce that time. Um, most devices have all kinds of modes that allow you to mute messages, calls, notifications, notifications and apps in certain situations. But those same devices also serve as the gateway for apps whose sole purpose is to entice you to spend more time looking at them. Mm. Uh, and as Catherine Price points out, some of these apps deliberately try to interrupt you and break your focus because they want you to focus on them. So she phrases notifications as interruptions. And, you know, we we all do it. I mean, right. I complained to a local bank because I was getting multiple promotion notifications from them every single day. And most of us are simply too lazy or distracted to go into our settings and turn off the notifications for an app, especially if it's something like right. a banking app that's also telling you about mm. transactions on your account. So that's the kind of thing you actually want to appear on your screen. But as Oliver Hart points out, our brains were laid out 30,000 years ago back in our hunter-gatherer phase. Um, so whether it was avoiding danger or finding food, our brains are hardwired for the fight-or-flight nature of those pings and flashes that come up on your smartphone screen. And they force us out of whatever bubble of concentration that we're in at that moment. They take us away from the task and they draw us towards the device. Okay, so far we've mostly heard the negatives. Is there a sense of consensus that these devices are harmful? No, as I said, I mean, the devices are new. So the opinion and the consensus is only just starting to shape. Uh, so rather than do my usual thing and end <laughs> on the apocalypse, I thought Thought we'd talk about the 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 more you know uh, the more positive views towards okay. the end. Uh, the Guardian Guardian article quotes uh, Chris Bird, who's a pre professor of cognitive neuroscience at the University of Sussex. He points out that some of the tasks we offload onto our devices are things we've always used external storage mechanisms for, like putting appointments in a physical diary mm. or writing contact details in an address book, as you were saying, Frida, not remembering phone numbers. Mm. Uh, if any of our listeners <laughs> has no idea what an address book is, just ask an old person. They'll probably be happy to clip you around the ear with the one they still carry in their bag. Um that's why people give out business cards, though, because we don't retain all that contact information at once. So digital devices, in that sense, are in many ways just another filing system. Um, I mean, again, let me ask you a question. Are you one of those people who takes a photo of where they've parked their car when they park in a mall? I take it a step further. I use Grab. Ah, okay. You don't even have to worry about remembering if there was a car. Okay. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, 
I mean, I, I, I do. I mean, I, I can't remember the number of times I've lost a car in a mall car park. Um, you know, I've forgotten even what floor I parked on. Um, I remember one occasion when I was with a friend and, uh, uh, he just bought a new used car. Um, and he, parked it in the mall. Neither of us remembered where it was. And because it was still new to him, he couldn't remember what the number plate was either. And it was a grey proton (laughs) in a literal sea of grey protons. So we ended up walking from floor to floor with him waving the beeper around until we finally found the car, which took us maybe 30 to 45 minutes. Hence grab Yes, precisely. So Bird also makes the point that tasks like that, things like where we've left our car, actually carry quite a high mental load for something that seems so trivial, enough for you to take a grab rather than to actually park. Um, So taking that photo is a way to reduce the bandwidth consumption and allow you to concentrate on other things. So that's how you can frame it to other people now. You're just increasing your bandwidth to talk to them when you uh, take a grab to the meeting. Um, Of course, you know, other people argue that offloading those tasks to a phone isn't bringing us any closer to winning that Nobel Prize, that we're more likely to use that recaptured time to consume just more social content. What about those brain shaping components? Yeah. So one of the um, topics that Oliver Hart raises is the use of GPS. And this is something I'm especially guilty of, you know, relying on ways to get me everywhere. And it's something I don't even think about anymore. You don't give a second thought to where you're going. You just hop into the car, program it, and you follow the directions. So Hart notes that navigating and map reading is something that's really hard. So it's one of the first tasks that we try to offload. And that totally describes me. (laughs) But, you know, offloading that process to an app, an app that simply gives you linear instructions like turn left, go straight ahead, is actually detrimental to our health. He argues that the spatial strategies that we have to employ to navigate, you know, creating a 3D map of our surroundings are really good for our brain precisely because they are hard to accomplish. But there's disagreement over this as well. So the Harvard psychologist, Daniel Schachter, uh, argues that the effects from using GPS are task specific rather than, you know, long lasting and sort of impactful in that sense. So essentially, all we can do is wait and see. Yeah. I mean, if we're lucky, the world will descend into a fireball long before most of us develop dementia. So, you know, always look on the happy side. Um, Digital devices aren't going away. Uh, Studies in this area are useful because we need to know the long-term effects so that we can avoid them. Um, You know, we talk about voice-activated devices on the show a great deal. Maybe they will be lower impact over the longer run than screen-based devices. Maybe we'll develop socially recognized notification windows. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, everyone mutes their notifications until the last 10 minutes of the hour, for example. A lot of the changes are behavioral as much as they are technological. Um, But you know, these shows wouldn't be possible without digital devices. I'm not joking when I say that digital devices make me smarter because they let me view the world in a much wider way. And I think at this juncture, the best thing we can do is to remain aware of how we're using the technology and just to remember to do something else from time to time, Mm. even if it's to play songs badly on a guitar like I do. 
he always uh, promises to, well, he always attempts to end on a, a happy note, but true to form. Well, if, you, not- if you've heard me play guitar, it's not a very happy note. It's very bad notes. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Armitage. And of course, you can find him on Instagram and Twitter at Culture Matt, K-U-L-T-R-M-A-T-T. Or subscribe to the Culture Pop newsletter on Substack for more information about these shows. And of course, Matt will be back again next week. Tech Talk, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.